listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. think I've ever heard that song sung in a, in a more beautiful fashion. Wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. My heart is just aching right now for, for Carla having another seizure here this morning. And so be, uh, just, j- just be thinking of her uh, this morning as we're uh, going to open up the Word. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter number 1. And this is where I feel more comfortable on a Sunday. And so I'm so thankful for uh, Mike and uh, his ministry uh, here through song, someone told me this morning, this makes me uh, help my, help me not to take him for granted, and that is definitely true, and so thank you so much for uh, being here, and I trust that uh, our time back in our series entitled Jesus, uh, just simply Jesus, we're looking at him uh, throughout the book of Mark, and if I could entitle, I'm sure Brother Weaver had a title for a Sunday school, that would have been like, let's go planting, well this morning's message is, let's go fishing. Okay, and so there's some similarities to uh, the messages. It's neat how the Holy Spirit does that. Uh, but Mark chapter number 1, we're going to begin reading in verse number 16, please. Verse number 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for... The worship, and one of the things I love about worship and singing is, is that, Lord, it doesn't always have to be perfect. That, God, it's, it's the heart. It's the, it's the reflection of our attitude and worship toward a worthy and holy and awesome God. And, Lord, I pray that every song that was sung, whether it was old or, or modern or not modern enough, that our hearts were locked in, Lord, in worship to you. And God, I ask that you would also bless this time now of worship, of preaching and listening to preaching. Lord, I pray that we would uh, do so uh, in a fashion that is, is pleasing to you. I pray for Carla right now and for Elizabeth and those that are assisting her. And Lord, I pray that this would be a, uh, a quick seizure. And God, we, uh, we, we know that your will is always perfect. And God, we submit to your will, but we pray that uh, these doctors would find, if it's your will, a solution. Uh, Lord, for these seizures, and God, just protect her now, and uh, God, I ask that you would uh, just be with our service now, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps one of the greatest threats of Christianity does not come from outside of the church as much as it does from the inside of the church. Perhaps they come from a misunderstanding or a distortion of the faith that moves from a Christ-centeredness 
to a man-centeredness, or if I can put it another way, a me-focused Christianity. And so right off the get, right out of the bat, I want you to, I want you to hear this statement. Jesus did not so much come to make your life work, but to employ you in his work. I want you to let that, let that sink in here. Jesus Christ, his whole, his mission wasn't just to make your life work, to make it, to make it easy and plush and all of the things that we want so often in Western culture. Instead, he came to employ you in his work. That is a very different way of thinking about our faith. There's a Christianity that is all around us. You can read it on thousands of websites. You can find it in Christian bookstores everywhere. I would call it a kind of a Barnes and Noble type of Christianity, and it looks nothing like the Christianity of Mark nor the New Testament in and of itself. We are confronted once again, this is our fifth message in Mark, uh, with the theme throughout the book. And it is the nature and the cost of discipleship. Uh, We're once again being confronted with that. We are called not just to be containers of grace, but to be disciples of a God of grace and to be a part of this mission of grace. Sometimes, if we're not careful in our in our churches and in our lives, we just we just we we revel in the grace of God and as you ought to. And it's amazing and it's and it just it's awesome. But you're not supposed to just be a container of that. You're supposed to be in, in his mission of dispelling that out to a world around us. But Christianity for many, me included at times, has morphed far away from that to a more of a more of a vending machine type of deity. Uh, David Henderson, he's a pastor in Lafayette, he said this. It's a great temptation to make Christianity attracted to seekers by misrepresenting the faith as a relationship through Christ with a God who is a divine vending machine in the sky, there to meet every need. Unhappy, unattractive, unsuccessful, unmarried, and unfulfilled? Well, then come to Christ, and He'll give you everything you ask for. We forget God is not primarily in the business of meeting needs. When we make Him out to be, we squeeze Him out of His rightful place at the center of our lives and we put ourselves there. God is in the business of being God. And Christianity cannot be reduced to God meeting people's needs. And when you and I attempt to do so, when you and I look at the laundry list of the needs in our life or what we're going through and and what we don't have and what others do have, what we're doing is is we're putting God or we're putting ourselves in the place of where God ought to be. And so we ought to be very careful of that. That is uh, a distorted part of the Christian message. His agenda is display His glory. To the, to the further His kingdom and around the globe. It is a call to all of mankind to humbly bend the knee and to cry out for Him for salvation and to be in total dependent and devotion to Him. Philippians 2, verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you were to go into the earlier portions of that passage, it talks about how Jesus Christ, who is God, 
became man, humbled himself, became obedient to the Father, even to the death of the cross. And his whole goal was that every man, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. That is his mission. It is to invite men and women out of following, hear me, the hollow pursuit of living for themselves and into a life that is consumed by Him. Merely using our need, hear what I'm about to say, as our main basis for making sense of Christian life, it is so faulty. And the reason why it's so faulty is because God no longer occupies center stage. Terms like self-love and self-expression and self-confidence and self-fulfillment, which by the way, none of those are in the Scriptures at all. They tend to be what is so prominent if we have a me or a man-centered type of Christianity and words like self-surrender and self-sacrifice, self-denial, self-control tend to be on the disuse in so much of our religion today. When that happens, we may, we may be preaching. We actually may be sharing our faith. We may be actually sowing our seed. But what we are communicating is not a genuine Christianity. In Christianity, the one place that our self can know, cannot be is that center. That is the rightful place of God. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at the text again. And we're going to look at it many times. And, we're going to, and what we're going to see, uh, we're going to be confronted with Jesus once again. And we're going to be forced, as every single time we look at this book, we're going to be forced to a decision. We're going to have to respond to Him. And we're going to have to allow Him to be at center stage. Verse number 16, the words should be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Now as He walked by the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, His brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after Me, and I will make you, I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And so as we examine these verses over the next 20 or so minutes, I want us to reflect first of all off of Mark's perspective. Mark's perspective. It is really quite unique because in every way of this text, Jesus is in state, Jesus is center stage. There are many details that you would expect to be part of this narrative that are absolutely not recorded by Mark. We have little sense of what was going on in the mind of these men. We have little sense of the conversation that they might have had one with another or the conversation that they were having maybe even with themselves. There's no sense of the goodbyes that took place in this text. There's no, there's no sense of maybe this internal debate. Oh, should I go? Is he, is he, is he asking too much? Uh, the, the, the heart of, of this is... Mm, what. There's no sense of any of that. We have little sense in this text of the human drama that would sort of be the human perspective when we would be center of stage. Mark is very careful to tell the story in a different way. This is not so much a story of followers. 
This is the story of the Messiah. This is the story of Jesus, and it is the story of His plan, and it is the story of His purpose, and His authority, and His power. Jesus, as we'll see all through the series, is front and center. And the reason that has to be the way that this story is told is because that is the core of what it actually means to be a disciple. The core of it is to recognize that what God does is He invades your life. And He places Himself at the center of all that you are. When, he, when you are a true follower, when you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, He becomes King. He is your Savior. He is your Messiah. He is your life. He is your hope. He is your peace. It is Him. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If any of you this morning were writing this story, I'd have a lot of questions for you. I would have questions about, well, you know, what were the, what were the men thinking? And, you know, what was the turmoil? What did their goodbyes look like? But these guys just got up, they left family, and they left business. Now, you would think that a story like this would be like three or four pages in your Bible, right? Like, I mean, you want to know all the juicy details of, uh, of, what, of what went on. But that's not how Mark writes this story. Center stage is Jesus, and he says, you follow me. This is the sovereign King Jesus who is invading the lives of these men and saying, I've got a greater mission for you. I've got a kingdom. This is a unique perspective that Mark tells us. If you were to, if you were to look at, at John's perspective and, and Luke's and Matthew's, the, the other synoptic Gospels that tell the, tell the story of Jesus, you would, you would get some more details. But Mark, he's that quick hitter. He's that one that every single, every single story, he wants, to, he wants to lift up Christ. He wants you to see Him. He wants you to force you to a decision. He wants to make you think a little bit. And so what Mark's willing to do is he's, he's willing to frustrate you. He's willing to frustrate me. He's willing to leave our questions that I clearly had when I'm reading this text unanswered. He's willing to do that. He does not want anything to detract us from the glory and the authority of Christ. Because the heart of following Him and discipleship is not the disciple. It's not you. The heart of discipleship is the one whom the disciple follows. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is hard to keep straight at times. This is why it's been so tempting in the, in the meism of Western culture for Christianity to begin to bend and twist and take another shape that is very different from the one that you see laid out in the New Testament. There is much in Christendom today that says, hey, you come to Christ and you'll get. Hey, you come to Christ and, 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 and you'll be happy. And so on and so forth. When Jesus tells you and me this morning, no, 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 just, you just come. You just follow. My friends, you and I, we need to be aware of how our hearts so often get this wrong. How so often we become so man-centered. We, I mean, churches have become so man-centered where where, where, where our songs are all about us. And it ought to be all about Christ. Listen, it's not about your kingdom working. Let me just step on your toes for a second here. It's not about your kingdom working. It's about your invitation to participate in the work of a greater kingdom. You okay this morning? We're all right? You okay? Let's see this focus again. 
So his perspective is Christ, not us. Let's read the text again. Verse number 16, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. We see not only his perspective, but we see Mark's focus on Christ's authority. I mean, what, what an audacious thing to do. To walk up to these men, little explanation, and say, hey, I want you to, I want you to drop everything and I want you to follow me. I've got this, I've, I, I've got this, great, this great mission. You're going to become... Fishers of men, yeah, that probably made a whole lot of sense to them at the time. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. Remember, all of this is new revelation. You and I, we, we look back and we, we've got the New Testament. We've got the church age. I mean, we're seeing everything from uh, post-cross. No explanation. You, you. I want you to come with me. What authority Jesus Christ has. I mean, you and I could never do that. I, you know, I... I, I plead with you. I, I love you all. I'm like, hey, let, let's do this. And I'm going to get to that a little bit more later in this message. But ultimately, I have real no authority over you. I can't say, hey, you, you follow me. I can't necessarily do that. But Jesus, such authority. The King, the Sovereign One, who this is all about, says, I want you to follow me. I have a plan for you. So follow me. Being a disciple at its basest form is submitting to His authority. Do you submit to God? Do you submit to His authority? Do you submit to His authority of His Word? If I would have asked you early on in the message, before I got into some of the meat of this, and I would have said, hey, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Many people would say, yeah, of course I am. I'm a, I'm a Christian. No, Discipleship at its basest form, the following of Jesus is a submission to his authority. And by the way, he has the authority to come into our lives and to call us to his purpose. This is Jesus. This is, this is God's son, the one that was eternal from eternity past. The next thing I want you to see in this text, it's a little more, a little more on the subtle side. But let's read it here, verse number 18. And straightway, they forsook their nets and followed him. Verse 20. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So Mark not only focuses on his authority, but he focuses on Christ's power. I mean, think about it. The disciples responded immediately. And it's not because there was some spirituality that was inside of them. No, it was because of the power of the one who was calling them. He was calling them the, by the power of His grace. And with immediacy, it's radical. These men drop their nets and they follow Him. They, 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 they drop what they're doing. I mean, what a picture. There's no, there's no all the questions that you have. Why? Why do I got to stop what I'm doing? Can I, can I bring in the rest of the meal for my family? Or can I bring in enough money to, you know? So 
can I at least finish the job so I can give some denarios to at least my, my, my family? I mean, where, where, where are we going, Jesus? Power. Power for Christ is the hotel. You realize that Jesus Christ is beckoning everyone. He's calling all. The power of Christ. What a picture. What I also want you to see in this text, Mark focuses on Christ's mission. Please don't miss this. The emphasis is not on the tough things that these guys are going through. Jesus doesn't say, hey, hey, follow me and I'll heal your hurts. Now, aren't you thankful that you can come broken and he heals you? Praise God for that. But listen, Jesus is not saying, hey, hey, you follow me and I'll, I'll, I'll heal all your hurts. I'll heal your broken heart. He's not saying, follow me. Just, just give me this seed response and there's going to be wealth to follow. Follow me and there's going to be a good life. Uh, that's not what Jesus is saying here. You see, that kind of approach to what it means to follow Christ is not a part of this moment at all. Luke 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Christ came. Christ came to, Christ came to redeem. His zeal is the grace of forgiveness. His zeal and his, his passion, His mission is the grace of acceptance, the grace of empowerment and deliverance. His mission is a redemptive mission. And that mission reaches to the heart of every single person on this earth. And it's exactly what they need. Forgiveness of their sins. That's His mission. I've come to seek and to save them that are lost. Christ says, you come and be a part of my mission. Christ doesn't say, hey, I'll come and be a part of your mission. I'll come and I'll make your kingdom work. I'll come and I'll make your family work. I'll come and I'll make your finances work. I'll come and I'll, I'll make your relationships work. I'll, I'll, I'll come and I'll make sure that you have a beautiful wedding like Mike and Jess had. None of that. Jesus says, no, you come and I'll let you be a part of my kingdom. Do you see how our Western culture has gotten so twisted up with materialism? I mean, we're not even talking about the health, wealth, gospel of churches that don't, even, that don't even really preach Christ. I realize before I'm done here, this isn't like the most popular message. Actually, this whole book is not. It's just power, punch, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you and I, we've got we've to decide what, what, what we're going to do, what we're going to follow. There's no opportunity in this text to say, hey, what's in it for me? None of that. This is not a vending machine deity where you and I, we put our quarters in of, of prayer and we press the button. God, I, God, I prayed. God, I, 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 I gave. God, I came to church. God, where are you? That's not what this type of Christianity and discipleship is. We okay? All right, doing good. It's not Christianity at all. Let me give you a fifth perspective here. Mark focuses on the cost of following Jesus. Following Jesus means that His will, His plan, His authority becomes the thing that sets the agenda of my life. Becomes the pathway of my life. It becomes the motivation of my life. You and I, we begin to forsake claim over what we have to follow him. He says, guys, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to drop your nets. Listen, this is what they had. This was, their, this was their livelihood. These were the things that if they would break, they would spend the time mending because it was 
everything. It provided for the home. It provided for the food. And Jesus said, I want you to drop all of that and I want you to follow me. You and I, we've got to lay aside the things that we hold so dearly to, like a home or a nice home, a big home, or nice clothes, or money for fine dining, or a car that doesn't break down, or relationships that lead to marriage. And I could go on and on and on and on. All those things are nice. Nothing wrong in any of those. But God doesn't owe those to us. And if we're not careful, we will hold... And I do this. I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with myself, okay? Sometimes I'll hold God hostage. And I'll say, God, if you really cared, and God, if you, if you really loved, you will... And then we fill in the blank. And it's so unfair to bring God into the courtroom of our, of our life. And so following Him, following Jesus, becomes the most important pursuit of our lives. What an important way of telling the story. Jesus, in Mark 1, verses 16 through 20, is at center stage. It's all through the text. It is His authority. It is His power. And it is His mission. And I want to close this morning by reading the text one more time. And I want to draw one more conclusion here. I want you to to follow carefully through this text. Verse 16 again. Now, as he, that being Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. This This is a remarkable moment to me. In this moment, Jesus begins to entrust his mission to people. To people. I mean, think about that. It is so amazing. We know some things about these guys, don't we? I mean, if you were the Messiah and you were picking your first four dudes to go into battle with you, you're probably not picking Peter. Maybe not James. Maybe not John. Think of the story of Simon Peter. How'd that story turn out? I'll never deny you, Jesus. You know, however he said it in the Greek, whatever. And Jesus is like, ah, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. Before, before it crows, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, I'll never do it. Denial. 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 I mean, literally curses Jesus. Remember James and John? You remember this whole kingdom talk? They're walking along with Jesus and, you know, walking along with like, hey, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? It wasn't about Jesus' kingdom. It was about theirs. Now, this is remarkable. Hear me. That God calls people in need of grace to be tools of transforming grace. 
Don't ever get over the fact that you need abundant grace today. Don't ever get over the fact that you and I, though we might not be lost, we'll get to that in a moment for those that that don't know Christ as our Savior, but listen, that you and I, we do not need the radical, transforming embrace of grace every single moment of every single day of your life. If you think somehow we've graduated from it, we've graduated from the Gospel, we've graduated from the cross, and now we get to work, we're going to become Pharisees. But if you and I will remain the fact, the wonder of this mission is that God calls broken people to be instruments of healing. That God calls people that are still practically sanctifying. I realize that we're sanctified in Christ, but there's that, there's that practical side of sin being eradicated from our lives. He uses us that are still sinners as a tool for redemption. The wonder of grace is not just what grace is able to do, but whom grace employs to do its work. That's you. That's me. Ryan, I can't. You know, you don't know my past. You don't know my struggles currently. Listen to me, this, this story so amazes me because it's the beginning of Jesus saying, I want you on my team. I want you to be the instrument. Oh, you're still broken, you're still messed up, and you are going to be able to reach out to a broken and messed up world that is in dire need of forgiveness of their sin. So again, does this not point to Christ at center stage? These men are not called because of who they are. They're called because of who Christ is. And that is the Gospel. And that does not leave us with any room for pride or any room for boasting because the Gospel never preaches our adequacy. The Gospel preaches the sufficiency of grace in Christ. You see it here in this text. These messy disciples are here. The needy men are here. What confusion and maybe even just, just wonder still living in their hearts as they're being chosen to, to be on Christ's team, so to speak. To be one of His disciples. And listen to me, that's the story of Scripture. Think of Abraham, who's like the father of the faithful, right? The father of the faith. Uh, we know some things about him, right? His story didn't end so well, or it didn't, it didn't always have glowing remarks. How about, how about Moses? God used Moses mightily. You can look at character after character after character. And you see that the Bible is not a story of noble people who make right choices. The Bible is a glorious story of broken people who are rescued by grace and who are made usable by that grace. So what would Jesus say to you this morning? What would He say? Well, if you're seated here this morning and you do not know Him as Savior, Jesus would say, I've come to offer you your greatest need. And that is the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus would say, I came some 2,000 years ago. I walked this earth. I was tempted like you were. I did all of that without sin so I could die on a cross as the spotless Lamb of God, which John said would take away the sin of the world. He said, I did that for you. And your response to this message would be to accept that free gift of salvation. Your response would be to accept the forgiveness 
that is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Is that you? In a moment, you can respond in that fashion. Christian, what would Jesus say to you this morning? He would say, get up in your brokenness. He would say, get up in your confusion. He would say, get up in your, in your wonderment. Get up in a heart that is still warring inside and give yourself to my mission. Jesus would say, follow me and you watch what I can do through a life that says it's not about me, it's about Jesus, and I will turn you into not only fishers of little fishies, but I will recreate new life in people through the message of me. Can you take that message this week? See, I'm not going to go with you, and you're not going to go with me. This is, this is a type of message that goes way beyond passing out a gospel track. And absolutely that is important. But this is in your moment by moment, day by day, communities that you're in, vocations that you're in, relationships that you're in, and you're thinking, no, 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 this, this isn't just about me. I'm not just providing for my family today as I'm on the job. Instead, I'm providing, but I'm doing so with a kingdom mindset. That it's not about me, and so that as Brother Weaver preached earlier, I can sow that seed. And God will make all the difference in the world. Jesus says, you go, and I'll catch people through you. When we make it all about him. Let's be disciples this morning. Let's come under his authority and under his power, and let's go with Jesus.